0: Hi, welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast about any number of issues that would be much simpler if we weren't so queer, so trans, so non-binary, so different in this wonderful world of ours.
1: And there's lots of laughter. I've, I discovered off the, after the last one how much, how much we laugh.
0: Yeah, it's nice. Though.
1: Yeah, because it's serious, but it's not serious, because I think that's also something like when you did your introduction you put on your serious radio voice. I did. You did. Sorry about that. That's okay.
0: <laughs> Sorry, listeners.
1: <laughs> <laughs> listeners. I like the way we've gone from listener to listeners. You, you, See, we have this complicated relationship with the people who might be <laughs> listening to this because A, we don't know who they are. No. We have no idea who, who we could do this for. But also, we don't know how many of them there might be. So we're assuming there's one. And it's probably somebody that you and I both know.
0: So, hello, insert name.
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: I'm so glad you've joined us
1: again for another one of these. And you're like, oh, why do I do this? It's
0: so much easier if we just rang you
1: up. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Jay. I gave myself the job title Harbinger of Change. I work at ThoughtWorks, who are a global software consultancy solving complex problems with technology. And I gave myself the gender transgressive, non-binary gender queer. I am the future of what happens when you allow people to self-define. I'm also a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance.
0: Because branding.
1: Because branding.
0: (laughs) Hi, my name is Josephine Baird. I am an independent scholar, artist and activist. An occasional pain in the ass. (laughs) Yeah, I like to be called a queer without portfolio.
1: A Queer Without Portfolio, I like that. It's kind of like a minister without portfolio. Exactly,
0: yeah. It's like I just sell my house and
1: queer hi, 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 I'm Josephine Baird. I'm a Queer Without Portfolio. <laughs> That's I almost you. your, job do- your job title. Kind of
0: is, really, honestly. <laughs> so grab a drink and join us for our chat. And if you'd like to buy us a drink, you can go to our coffee page, which is ko-fi.com slash itiscomplicated, all one word. Today's topic is going to be an interesting one. Uh, because it's one that uh, Dr. J has just informed me they don't know very much about, which is?
1: It's all the books that I've never read. It's <laughs> all the things I've never seen. It's all the queer stuff you're supposed to have seen to have done gender studies and to understand what queer is and all of those things that I've never studied. And I work in tech, I work in service design and places like that. And I say that I take queer theory into there, but my queer theory has gained kind of second hand from talking to people like Josephine to talking to people like my lovely friend who's now Dr. Joe Parslow um, of talking of reading a comic book written by another friend called A History of Queer Theory. That's all the queer theory that I've ever read. I've never read Judith Butler. I've never read any serious books on queer theory.
0: And you feel and, that somehow you you should have
1: i feel well I feel like there 's an expectation to to be involved in this discussion. I should have gone and read those books
0: from from whom
1: from from the people having these discussions from the people um, i fear I feel it if i say i 'm talking about queer theory or i 'm talking about queer, people immediately start turn to me and say oh so have you read this by judith butler or you know i saw sarah Ahmed talk i got so lost in that talk she she she's an amazing poet she does really great kind of spoken word craziness for 90 minutes or 45 minutes however long it, it felt like two and a half hours god only knows how long it was um which i really enjoyed but i i didn't realize that that was queer theory until somebody said, no, that's queer theory. And I'm like, but I didn't make head nor tail of it. I just read it as like a huge wash of words coming and and ideas coming through like a spoken word poet.
0: Uh, I wasn't at the talk, but um, I can imagine what you're talking about. And it is a form of language that is employed by certain queer theorists, especially, that I find quite problematic. Um, there have been any number of occasions where I've been asked to explain Judith Butler, not to someone who hasn't read Judith Butler, but by someone who has read Judith Butler, who can't make head or tail of it, Um, especially for those people who don't have English as a first language, who are studying these things in other countries. And honestly, these, these books are impenetrable. And what I find difficult about that is that they're written about subjects, about people who are then pretty much excluded from reading the book itself. I mean, um, Judith Butler's famous works from 1990 and 1993, um, which are Gender Trouble and Bodies That Matter, these are the two books that will get cited ad nauseum in pretty much any gender or queer studies text. Um, they're about trans people, they're they're about us. And they're specifically about poor trans people and trans people of color in the United States. And um, those people are not included in the conversation by the language that's being employed. And that's not to say that these people or I or anyone else is stupid for not being able to read it. It's because the language itself, the words being used are utterly impenetrable which leads to one particularly unique problem with Judith Butler, which is what I've argued, that she is probably the only author I've ever seen cited by all the people on different sides of the debate all claiming to know what she said and that it justifies their position.
1: So she's delivering very nomic, very uh, impossible-to-understand sentences. Yes. That is... It's almost like my background in a bit of theology and things like that. You pick up some of the some of the oh, some of the very dense passages uh, that people have written, and you're like, I have no idea what this what this means. I can understand what every word means, but in this context and this way of reading it, how do these words all fit together? Um, one of the weird things with the um, Sarah Ahmed talk, she talked about the Lamarckian theory of um, evolution which is essentially that the environment changes your genes and changes who you are, which is absolute utter bollocks. I've never heard it used seriously other than as a, as a starter point for discussing Darwinism and uh, the theory of evolution um, and saying, well, this was a competing theory and this is why it doesn't happen and this is how Darwin disproved it. And that's about as much as I've ever had a relationship with it as a scientist. And I realized that Sarah Ahmed was not a scientist and had never had a relationship with it other than she thought it was an interesting theory to partake in. Nobody's taken the Lamarckian theory of evolution seriously since about 1850 or even earlier than that.
0: The thing about these disciplines and these discourses is that they don't often cross to the other no. side they don't they don't learn from each other and I find that particularly difficult I came from a very multidisciplinary background i try to use whatever thing or tool or methodology that I need in order to make my point because I think the things that I study are nebulous and difficult to track gender power um, discourses of disability, these things are really, really difficult to talk about because they're so normalized and they're so um, invisible in our communities that the words don't even exist to talk about it, let alone the methodologies. So you kind of have to come at these things from multiple angles at the same time and you need to cross over. So I've talked at STEM conferences, I've talked at history of technology conferences. Um, the project that I'm proposing at the moment is a um, discussion about video game culture and trans and gender performativities, because I see a huge crossover between theory of performativities and theories of game design. I've talked about the disabilities theory and trans theory and how those two things, even though they look incredibly similar, are very rarely discussed in the same context. And I think that's that's one problem the other problem that leads to is that you're drawing from examples from the other that makes you question the validity of the rest of the work. And then if you don't speak in a language that is accessible to a majority, no one can check your work. So the thing is, again, that thing about Judith Butler getting cited all the time, not only is she cited all the time to make all kinds of different claims, it's always the same sentences, literally the same sentences that are used to mean any number of things. Now, nothing against Judith Butler. Honestly, I think her work is quite brilliant. I do have very serious criticisms of her work, too. And that's in part because I have read it. And I did understand that. And it was because, in part, I came to English later on. It's technically my second language. Not quite, but it is sort of. But I read Chaucer, and I read Shakespeare, and I read these I read a lot of philosophy and I know what language she's employing. And I know this things she's saying, I understand them. And I have a real problem with some of it. And some of it I think is exceptional and brilliant. If, if you take it for what it, uh, for what it can mean. Um, but yeah, it, it, if you can't access it and it doesn't talk to everyone, it doesn't have to be completely talking to everyone, of course, but I mean, if you can't, talk to a majority of people if they cannot understand you? How on earth can they learn about you? How on earth can they critique you? And how on earth, if you are part of the community that they're studying, can you say, actually, I'm not entirely sure that that's
1: accurate? And then it becomes even harder because the moment I try and talk about some of this in a tech space or in a tech community, Mm -hmm. it's it's so difficult to open the conversation. Because everyone's like, oh, if you're going to bring in queer theory, it's going to be this impenetrable word salad of, of concepts and stuff that we don't understand or concepts that we might understand, but we've never heard that word used for it. Or you're going to use words that are real shibboleths about your, about the courses that you've been on and the knowledge that you've gained. And shibboleth is also a shibboleth because people don't know what it means because I used it somewhere and I realized that Anyone who hasn't grown up with that kind of Abrahamic religious tradition doesn't know about shibboleths. And because they're so pervasive, if you grew up Christian, if you grew up Jewish, or if you grew up Muslim, they're within all the tales because it's part of that core Abrahamic religions. But if you grew up outside of those or don't, aren't deeply rooted in them, you don't know what shibboleth means. So I stand up there in front, in front of people and say, and this is a shibboleth. And half the room goes, yes. And the other half of the room goes, what's a shibboleth? And this is, again, something. Mm. So I end up kind of explaining it's a word that allows people, or it's a word or a phrase that allows people to form into an in-group and an out-group, just based on either the usage of the word or the way you pronounce it. And everyone's like, oh, I got that. And it's like, great, I will use that as a description.
0: Well, now that's why I try my best. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm aware that I can use a long word like the rest of them. But <laughs> um, I try really hard not to put things in those terms, because I think it's unnecessary. Um, there is a certain amount of terminology that is useful in shorthand, of course, that makes sense. But, and there's certain terms that would be really good to use, and so you try to explain them when you start using them. But to create your language exclusively in those terms means that it's very, very difficult to mm. penetrate for the majority and so yeah the image becomes well queer theory is uh like you know looking at uh, mathematical theorem if you don't happen to be a mathematician Mm. whereas for me honestly this stuff is relatively straightforward like judith butler i've like i said i've had several people come to me literally said i've read every book or i've read this in my language and i still don't understand it can you try to explain it and I'm like, okay well I don't want to oversimplify it, but here are some of the basics. so one of the most profound things that Judith Butler argued was that gender does not exist prior to its performance, which means that gender as an idea is performed. we perform it every day, the way we talk, the way we stand, the way we the language we use, the words we're permitted to use, our body language our the clothes we wear, all sorts of things there like imagine it's a performance, and the notion of gender as like a thing in the world doesn't exist unless it's being performed. So it only exists in the moment of being performed or being in dialogue. And the other thing that Judith Butler argues that I think is really profound is that gender is a reproduction without an original, which is the idea that gender is simply reproduced over and over again without some sort of like core original thing from which it went, from whence it came, some sort of like, you know, artifact one can find that says this is gender when it was first made and that is where we all copy our genders from. No, it's not. Gender is just discourse, constant discourse that's being performed, reproduced over and over again without an original, and it's created in performance, and that's how we—that's how gender functions. It's an amazing idea.
1: And that kind of also falls into that idea that I, mm. I really like, that I picked up mm. from, I think it's Noam Chomsky, is the idea that you can't have the thought if you don't have the word to have the thought, which is what I always use to explain to people when I'm talking about things as to why I thought I was an alien till I was 12. And everyone says... Well, how, why did you think that it 's like because i didn 't fit and i didn 't know why i didn 't fit i didn 't know what i was didn 't know what I was till I was well in my thirties because that was when somebody gave me the words and the ideas because you can 't have the ideas without the words to structure them around i could say i don 't feel like i 'm a lesbian, but i couldn 't explain why i could ex i could say i don 't feel that i 'm that this thing really fits me, but I couldn't explain why it felt uncomfortable, why it didn't quite allow me to be myself. And that was a lot around the way the word is used, but also around the way that the idea fits inside your head. Um, And I get into these, got into this discussion um, because somebody said, well, why are all these kids starting to question their gender and transition much earlier now? Are we... Is this propaganda that's going out there? And I'm like, no. There are kids who literally grew up until they were in their thirties, thinking that they could be an alien because they just didn't fit in with the world. And then we give them the ideas, and they go, oh, oh, this one and this one, those two, those two mesh together. Kind of feel feel a bit like me, and I can wor- I can work from there. And once you start to give people those ideas, once you st- even if you give kids those ideas in a way that they can comprehend it they will start to be able to express themselves but until you give people that ability it doesn't exist and that's part of that performative but not performative and existing but not existing that it sounds like you were talking about or have I complicated it further
0: well of course you have because that's what the podcast is about (laughs) But now you're talking about having the right word. And that's an interesting question, too, because one could counter my argument of like, you should be simple and accessible by saying, yes, but we're using the correct word. And we need to be really, really careful and use particular terminology because these ideas are so complex that we need to use these terms. Like, so in Judith Butler's case, she would say that gender is a heterosexual matrix, which means what she thinks it means and what a lot of other people misinterpret she means but we could argue well but that is a word for something that we couldn't quantify before now we have a word for it the problem with that particular phrase is that i don't think it means very much to many people whereas if i say gender is a performance or gender is a dialogue that does mean something, mm. right? And I'm one of those people who grew up not knowing who I was or what I was until I saw... I'm not kidding, this is, my, this is my moment of enlightenment. One day I was home in England, sick from school, and watched a daytime TV show, a really bad one, in which a trans woman was being interviewed in this daytime TV talk show. Um, but she it was so scary for her to to come forward. She was literally um filmed in silhouette with a voice changer oh my god and i god. was like and i was like okay i'm sick at home watching this finding out that this exists and that's me great i have a word for it oh dear god is it that bad you know that i have to mm. hide my face and have a voice ch- holy shit i'm in trouble but yeah. at least there was the word and then i could i could describe myself i i agree with you i think the reason that there is more visibility more people coming forward is because there is more access to terminology more access to knowledge more access to understanding but that is why i mean that that knowledge those words need to make sense to the people that need that word so if you're a queer theorist and you're writing about queer people and queer people can't read your work then who are you writing it for and it could only be each other
1: this is why even though i've got an education even though i'm very well read. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of, um, I have a lot of input into my brain. I don't feel like I can take part in discussions when people start talking queer theory because they will bring up terms or they'll bring up people or they'll make references that I just don't, I just don't get. And I don't understand well enough to respond or critique them or to continue in the conversation.
0: Well, again, I understand entirely, and this is something I've really fought against. And one day I'd love to have a PhD in this subject and whatever book I write would be accessible in terms of its language to whomever I was writing about. Because honestly, I think this is not just like a practical concern. I think it's an ethical one. It's like you're writing about people. Like when Judith Butler's case, there's an excellent critique of her work from, again, I want to say 1996 here by a trans person called Jay Prosser. And he wrote um, about these two books that I mentioned earlier and does an amazing breakdown of what these books say, what they say about trans people and what's problematic about it. I used that as the basis for my master's degree and a few other later uh, pieces of research because it was so good. And basically what he's saying is that Judith Butler ends up making a very strange dichotomy between those trans people who um, demonstrate that gender is something that you can change, that gender is a performance by transitioning. They show that anyone can be, quote, a woman, quote, a man or whatever, because, because they can take on that identity and perform it so perfectly. Therefore, they're showing you how false it is and therefore they are great. However, it makes a dichotomy between those people And the people who don't do that, say the passing trans people who don't demonstrate that constantly to the outside world, those people are by sort of inference seen as not just problematic, like genuinely regressive, and apolitical or anti-political in a positive sense. And that kind of distinction, I think, is incredibly problematic, not just on a practical level, but on an ethical one, and even on a factual one, because it's just not true. But if that community whom you're writing about cannot access that, cannot return to you and say, hey, hold on a second. I think you're costing my experiences somewhat. And even if that's a misunderstanding, and I know Judith Butler has come back in later years to then try and clarify that. And she isn't, you know, an advocate for trans people. And so I don't think she would make that argument, especially not now. But if you can't access it to critique, if you can't access it to understand it even, and it's about you and you want to say, hold on, that's not me. I find that really, really ethically problematic.
1: So, so I translate some of this into the work that I do when um, people create software that doesn't allow for a name that's got a single letter like mine to be included within there or it doesn't allow for any gender outside of the binary. It gives you, what is your, what is your gender, male, female, and please specify. And there's not even a prefer not to say, Um, there's just no other choice before you move on. Mm -hmm. And that to me says that people haven't thought about the experience outside of themselves or they've thought about the experience outside of themselves in a very limited way. And it also means they don't know who then excluding because they're not reaching out to other people. So they're making a huge pile of assumptions about everybody.
0: If queer theory is so inaccessible, is it useful at all? And the truth is, yes, it is. I honestly do think that it is. I think it is useful, but only if it becomes accessible and, you know, it would be a mistake to sort of cast queer theory or queer theorists out just because, well, we can't access them right now or um, we've misunderstood them or because of their language choice, uh, we find it very difficult to parse it or to debate it or discuss it. There, There are ways to approach this subject in an accessible format and it is done regularly. And I think that is the way to go with this material.
1: So one of the things that I've always found an interesting discussion is whether without reading queer theory without going through and studying it is there a way for me to have a voice there when we discuss it because i always feel because i because i have never studied it that i couldn't partake in those in that discussion um and you've always come back and said but you're effectively living Judith Butler, you're effectively living all of that queer theory, so your lived experience is as valid as somebody who's gone and read the books and I think that's a discussion to be had because I think there's a lot of people who don't value that lived experience, who value that book learning, who value Mm. more that you've gone to Goldsmiths or LSE or Cambridge or somewhere and studied queer theory rather than anything else?
0: I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And an interesting, I don't want to come across as anti-intellectual because I'm not, uh, but I do. Neither am I. Let's, no, I, let's be I... very
1: clear yeah, because, yeah, yeah. because but... we are two dreadfully intellectual people.
0: God, yeah, no, we're really, we're obnoxious. Yeah, um, awful. <laughs> yeah, <here> we really are. <laughs> this, is, this isn't false modesty or self-deprecating humor. It's just accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it's just no, but I'm not anti intellectual. I'm I'm really against that in the sense that, you know, the yeah, the flip side of this coin could be, well, you know, um I've lived this experience and you're just writing about it. So how can you possibly know? It's like, well yeah.
1: What I find interesting is I can live an experience and somebody can say, Have you thought about interpreting that experience via this framework? And to me that gives me a framework to go, ah, Understanding, having going away and finding that bit of Noam Chomsky helped me understand why I thought I was an alien, helped me understand the necessity for language and the necessity for simplifying ideas. Um, Being given the ideas around gender being performative allowed me to kind of go, what does that mean in terms of what I do? How I talk to people and things like that. It helped, it gives me a framework to understand some of my lived experience. So I don't think you can have one without the other. I just think it needs to be a little bit more, the discussion needs to allow for people to come in and be a little bit more. I don't quite know how to use the word hegemony. I've read it several times. I still can't spell it. I spell it best two out of three. Thank you, Auto Carrot, um, for fixing it up. I still don't quite, I get that I use it about right, but I still don't, I'm still never 100% sure that I'm using it right. Intersectional was the same thing. It took me about three years to use intersectional from when I first heard of it, to use it confidently in a sentence Hmm. because I had to figure out what that framework meant, what it meant in terms of life experience, and then could I explain it to somebody?
0: Yeah, and that's the thing is that Um, I think you can in part because you do already implicitly understand it and the word now intersectional and hegemony these are two you know long academic sounding words but they are very useful words and so this is where we cross that line of like accessibility but having needing to be have a word that's quite accurate you know but again The notions of hegemony and intersectionality, they're both notions in society that are very invisible. And so they deserve to be explained in an accessible way. So we can have a conversation, maybe we should, about what is hegemony? What is intersectionality?
1: What is privilege?
0: Yes, why are these words um, useful? How have they been used improperly? How do they get warped and twisted and misunderstood? And why are they still useful? And here is the nub of it theory and practice. Queer theory isn't useful to me unless it can be used in exactly the way you described. It can be helpful to you to frame your experience and therefore has a practical function. That is also why I think lived experience is a valid source when you're talking about queer theory and having a voice. Everyone has a voice who has a queer lived experience because queer theory is supposed to represent your lived experience and if it doesn't then something's gone wrong and you need to be able to reply to that person and say that's not me and the thing with academic queer theory that um, that doesn't do that the problem is it doesn't i think often value those voices enough and that's one of my strongest critiques of this field. And don't get me wrong, I, I, have, I have a tremendous love for the field. I criticize because I do love it and I do one day want to have my PhD in it. But one of the things I will always write is some of the best trans and queer theory that you will ever read comes from people who aren't academics, who do not have a university affiliation, and therefore some university professors, some writers, and researchers will never read them. And it's genuinely tragic because that work is exceptional. If you want to read a really good introduction to queer theory that's accessible, read Kate Bornstein. Mm.
1: Oh, completely. Auntie Kate is just like the most amazing. My partner calls her Auntie Kate because she is just so amazing. And she is. She, her, her, the way that she writes it. And especially in like Hello Cruel World which I give to anyone who's struggling. I've bought that book so many times and given it away because it's so good at just reassuring people that you're not alone in feeling different.
0: Mm.
1: You're not alone. You're not an alien. You're not, there are other people who've been through mm. your struggles and it's okay. It's okay. And you'll get there and here's some guidance or not even guidance. It's, it, mm. Somebody described it as the best, not self-help book. Sorry. I no, it's on a, no, 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 on a very quick rant by the way buy the book we'll put the link in because yeah, definitely. it's one of the best
0: I've done the same thing I've bought that book many times and given it away and, and I found um, it became a point of pride never to actually have a copy because I was always giving it away I do now have a copy which is my copy which I keep and I buy an extra one to give away <laughs> when I can because it's, it's you know I can't always afford it but it is a truly wonderful book and um, Kay Bornstein is one of the most intelligent people. It's been my tremendous pleasure to meet and have conversations with. She puts these things in a most accessible erudite way and yet does not, go, does not get read by scholars who are university-based because she isn't university-based. And yet she does cross that line. She does speak at university. She'll speak anywhere because she wants this material to be accessible, to have these conversations. And I think that's an excellent starting point for anybody who wants to look at this material in an accessible way and also be able to be confident when you say, hey, just because I didn't go to university doesn't mean I can't have a voice about it, but I do want to know about it. So keep doing that in universities, but maybe maybe just listen to us every now and again.
1: Or or maybe speak in a way that, that, publish in a way that we can reply to. Because talking to me doesn't mean that you've made it accessible for me to contribute, that you've made it possible for me to express everything that I need to say. And you've made the space feel safe for me to be vulnerable enough to share some of the ideas, especially when I might not have all the language and I might not have everything is completely thought out and might still be a little bit raw. And the space needs to be made for those style conversations within queer theory as well. If you want to include queers in queer theory, you need to make it inclusive and accessible for queers. It is that thing of not just lived experience, but making It accessible and respecting that lived experience, respecting the fact that this is somebody who goes through the world constantly being pointed at.
0: Which is the same thing you could say to any researcher who comes along and says, "I want to, I want to represent you in the academy. I, I want to represent you in scholarly fields. One day, perhaps that theory might trickle down to help you." And it's like, "Well, okay, but." you're the one who's got the salary from whatever research grant that you've applied for or PhD position that you hold. Mm -hmm. And you want me to give you my valuable knowledge for free so that you might represent it correctly or not, and then not acknowledge it or provide it back to me in a way that is useful to me. That's a really difficult proposition. Yeah. And one day I really hope to be back in that environment so that I can be that person who can say, hey, listen, we need to listen to to the people who aren't here. But and maybe I won't be that person. Or maybe I'll just have to keep writing from the outside. And that's, that's okay. Not lucrative, but it's okay.
1: <laughs> but but one, of the, one of the hard things there is how do you then get people to get involved and engaged in those conversations because it becomes very difficult as an activist.
0: Well, I, now I have a very simple reply for you. Start a podcast.
1: that's essentially what we're doing really isn't it
0: there you go now now you understand the reason for our existence (laughs) Um, i
1: think it's all just about inclusion i think it's about ensuring that you've got all of those different voices in there mm -hmm. and giving them space to express their ideas in an accessible way
0: i mean queer theory was a challenge to the status quo it's supposed to be a critique of that which has come before and not included us. So if it doesn't include us when it's doing that work, then it's failing at its own mission. And I think that is really critical. And I think it's something that queer theorists must keep in mind and to put that in the center of their work, because it also gives them the legitimacy to say the things they're saying. They can speak from their position, you know, Academia has a long history of pretending that it can somehow be objective from outside of the position of the person who's giving that lecture or doing that piece of research, that their choices are somehow objective and never emotions don't enter into it or their position in society doesn't. Which it's is just absolutely so- rubbish. But in order to, to make that criticism of objectivity, you have to come from that approach. And queer theory is really, really good at that. But it isn't if it doesn't take itself seriously and follow through and actually deliver what it has the potential to do.
1: And tech is kind of the same Mm. in that it's supposedly objective. It doesn't have emotions. It's Mm. just technology. And yet, if you're not inclusive about the voices that you have in when you make tech, then you don't make tech that everyone can use. You don't make tech that makes sense.
0: And that's where this crossover exists. And those things you can understand and you can only understand it if you include yourself in that discussion and you make it accessible to others. And that's why queer theory absolutely is for you, Jay, and you know it and have every right to speak it and every right to question it or to ask or to be part of that conversation. And I hope that you feel more comfortable with it after our little discussion here
1: i don't and know we'll don't have know. to we'll I have hope, to find out
0: hope, we'll have I to hope, find out we'll have to ask our one listener dear listener <laughs> if you'd like to engage with us i will find a platform for you to do so in a way that's positive and you can let us know
1: oh dear god don't make it twitter
0: it shall not be twitter so dr j what will we be talking about next week not jk rally
1: i'm feeling a bit like pinky in the brain and i'm not sure which one of us is which
0: Oh shit, I love that
1: cartoon. I love that cartoon. Actually, we could discuss cartoons.
0: We could discuss cartoons. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it again. We can make it, you can make a joke around the joke, you can make any joke you want, or you can make another joke. I'll say, <clears throat> well, that was another topic that we made simple and then complicated and then simple again. And who knows where we landed, really. Um, what are we going to talk about next week, Dr. J?
1: Well, we could get really deep into the queer readings of JK Rowling. I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way you paused there, waiting to see if I could dig myself deeper.
0: <laughs> no, I know you can do that. <laughs>